0: Your Money, replay from Money FM 89.3. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. I'm speaking today with the CEO of the Happiness Research Institute, Mike Viking. His first two books were such huge bestsellers, they introduced two Danish words to the English vocabulary. Who could forget? The Little Book of Huger, a book that talked about the Danish way of living well. And then came the Little Book of Loka, Secrets of the World's Happiest People. Well, the Dane is back and his latest book is The Art of Making Memories. We all use memories to write the story of our lives and wanted to find out more about how we could do better in that regard. But first, I had to ask Make whether a rumor I'd heard about his book was true. Did this book result from a midlife crisis? (laughs)
1: Let's not call it a crisis. Let's call (laughs) it a creation. (laughs) But it's true, I turned 40 the year before last. And that means, statistically speaking, I have lived half my life. Because men in Denmark, we usually live on average to we are 80. So I just started to reflect and look back, you know, what were actually my happiest moments in my first 40 years and how can I use that knowledge going forward and create happy memories in the future. So in that sense, yes.
0: (laughs) You are known as the world's happiest man. Tell us, what is the link between memories and happiness?
1: My career is dedicated basically to two questions. I try to understand why some people are happier than others. And I try to understand why is it or how can we uh, improve quality of life? And that's the work I do at the Happiness Research Institute in in Copenhagen. And we can see memories are part of the answer to both questions. So we can see that people who are able to retrieve happy memories uh, are on average happier and people who are able to form a positive narrative about their past are happier. And it counteracts and negative feelings like anxiety and loneliness. So obviously, one of the ways we can then become happier is make sure we have more happy memories in the future.
0: A lot of us think that making memories is something that happens automatically. But in this book, you say we can learn to make better memories and
1: recall better memories. Is that true? That was actually one of the biggest aha moments when I was researching the book, going from what you described there as thinking of memories as something random and something we're not in control over Mm. to the perception that, okay, there's actually something we can do to make sure we remember some things. We actually do have some influence over what we remember uh, and we can become more in control and become memory architects uh, for ourselves and for our loved ones.
0: It was interesting. There's a part of your book that talks about studies of people with depression and how people with depression have difficulty making happy memories. They ruminate on the negative memories. Depression interferes with part of the brain that is involved with making happier memories. So is this book going to allow anybody to create happier memories?
1: I mean, my hope is that people will find out ideas on how they can create more happy moments and also help them retrieve some of the happy memories they might have experienced in the past and are perhaps unable to think of right now. So hopefully create more happy moments and also be able to retrieve more happy moments from the past.
0: Okay, let's talk about making happier moments. People think in this selfie culture that they are documenting every moment, but you say there's a difference between just documenting in a selfie sort of fashion your life and the art of making memories. What's that difference?
1: Well, what we can see is there's a lot of of common denominators in people's happy memories. So one of the things we did uh, at the happiness research Institute was we created a huge study of uh, happy memories from around the world. And I think we actually have happy memories from, from 75 different countries in, in that study. And, What we can see is there are some patterns when it comes to people's happy memories. And one of them is a very sort of simple, I would say, ingredient. And that is the ingredient of attention. So we can see that. Let me give you a story. So a couple of days ago, I spoke to a Polish woman who had read the book. And she was reminded of a time when she was about eight. And they're sitting at home, her mother and her sister and herself. And they're having a colorful Polish dish and there are some yellow flowers on the table and they're having a good time, they're laughing, they're feeling happy. And her mother says, I hope you remember this moment. And here we are 30 years later, she still remembered that moment because her mother brought her attention to that moment. Now, of course, it's a really powerful ingredient. It's also an ingredient we can overuse because if every time you sit down with your kids and say, I hope you remember this moment, your kids are going to be like, yeah, (laughs) shut up, dad. Uh, You say that every night. So it's like salt in that sense. You know, we can also overdose it. But the art of making memories is using a foundation of attention and then it's using ingredients like first experiences. So we can see that novel experiences, extraordinary days stick better to memory. So you remember your first kiss, your first job. The first time you had perhaps habanero chili. So using first experiences and also first experiences in a gastronomical sense, not just in a geographical sense. That are some of the ways we can do it. And using all our senses, not just sight, but also scent and taste and so on.
0: So, you are now on Money FM 89.3, and we are a business and talk station. And I'm sure many of the people listening in want to know how they can use your book to become more memorable themselves, whether it's giving a business presentation or a big business pitch. So, you have a suggestion of bringing a pineapple on stage. Uh, But besides that, what else do people get to become
1: more memorable? So let me explain the pineapple. So like a lot of your listeners, I do a lot of presentations around the world. And typically, you know, people will remember me because I'm the happiness guy. But sometimes I go to a happiness conference and then there is is twenty happiness men and women doing presentations. And what I've found useful in in those circumstances to be sure you stick out, to be sure you are memorable is to bring something out on stage that might seem out of place. For instance, a pineapple. I call it the pineapple principle in the book because people are struggling with remembering names. That's a common phenomenon, actually something called the Baker-Baker paradox. So if we're introduced to somebody called Mr. Baker, we forget his names, but if we're introduced to somebody who is a baker, we are, we are more likely to remember that profession because it creates a visual image. So when people struggle with names and there's 20 presenters, I bring all presenters on happiness. I could bring a pineapple on stage and then say to people, well, now you can just refer to me as the guy with the pineapple. So, of course, you have to explain to people what, why you are bringing a pineapple on stage. Otherwise, it's it's just weird or at least weirder than you're going for. Yeah, that's one of the little tricks in the book. That example made me hungry as well. <laughs> <I> d-
0: <laughs> There's something there about why you put Danish words in your first two books. The book on huga and Luca. <laughs> but this one, this one doesn't have a Danish word. Is that intentional? <laughs>
1: I think it is. I mean, so Luger and Hygge also got me into trouble because a couple of years ago, I was at a national TV show in the UK and it's live. They have four million viewers, so almost more viewers than I have countrymen. One of the hosts, he's talking about the books, he's talking about Luger and Hygge and he's pronouncing it really well. And I thought maybe he had seen some of the Danish TV dramas. There's been The Killing, there's been The Bridge, and a lot of people in the UK, they've seen the TV dramas in the original Danish language. And there's also a political drama called Borgen, or that's how they pronounce it in the UK. So I said to him, you know, well done on pronouncing Danish, Luger and Hygge, you must have been watching a lot of Danish børn, which is how we <laughs> pronounce it. But he heard you must have been watching a lot of Danish porn. <laughs> so he started to laugh, all the other hosts, they started to laugh. I had no idea why they were laughing. The other host said, you know, what did he say? I'm afraid to ask. The first one said so. And that was the end of the interview. So since then, I've become more careful with using Danish uh, Danish words in the title of my books.
0: <laughs> ah, I love that story. <laughs> in fact, you say using the oral tradition actually can help you strengthen your connection to memories. And that's how great stories have lasted across time, isn't exactly. it? And so you suggest that we look to the way we tell stories. To help shape our memories?
1: Yes, tell stories, but also find ways to combine stuff, objects, material things to your story. So in my home study, uh, in my office at home, I've surrounded myself with stories that remind me of some of the happier times. What I also might do is, and I did this for my first book, I had saved money to buy a chair I really wanted, but waited until I had published my first book to buy it. And now that chair reminds me of what was an important milestone for me and that celebration and that happy memory. So, finding objects, combining objects that will trigger your memory of happy events. Now, the Polish lady I, I spoke about earlier, in, in her happy memory, there were some yellow flowers on the table. So, if she brought yellow flowers into her home, that could trigger a, a memory of that experience 30 years ago. So, basically, Finding objects, combining them with or making the manifestations of your happy memories. And you can call it being the arch enemy of Marie Kondo. You know, finding <laughs> <laughs> 5 stuff that helps you remember.
0: We're speaking with Mike Viking, author of The Art of Making Memories, How to Create and Remember Happy Moments. You say you have a concept in this book called the emotional highlighter pen. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so we see that we remember stuff that are emotional. So stuff that is embarrassing, stuff where we get scared, uh, angry, but also so happy. So maybe one of the ways we can experience or have more happy memories or more memories in general is to push our comfort zone a little bit and do stuff that scares us. But it's also using the emotional highlighter pen that happens when there are global tragical events. So you and I, we both remember what we were doing on Mm 9-11 and have more happy memories or more memories in general is to push our comfort zone a little bit and do stuff that scares us. But it's also using the emotional highlighter pen that happens when there are global tragical events. So you and I, we both remember what we were doing on on Mm 9-11 and in the future, there will be more global tragic events and we know that our kids, they are going to remember that day. So what we might do is we might want to be sure to tell our kids we loved them. We might want to cook them their favorite meal and make them feel that they are loved. Because then in 20 years, when they look back at that tragic event, they will also see an element of love that they experienced that day.
0: Oh, you mean twinning love for your child, loving acts for your child with incredibly traumatic events. Is that what you're talking about?
1: It is building in an element of feeling loved in those days that that will be part of our shared memory forever.
0: That's fascinating. Broadly, are there ways that parents can create a happy childhood for their
1: kids? I think there is a lot we can do to, to make sure that our kids look back on a happy childhood. So uh, one example from the book is there's this British woman who decides to go to the beach with her family and they want to eat out on the beach and they go out to the beach and they want to cook. And, but it's cold and it's windy and they end up eating this half-cooked porridge on a windy beach but she says you know it really brought them closer together as a family they're sitting under these huge blankets eating horrendous food but having a, a really fun family time now what she might do is she might be the arch enemy of Marie Kondo, in that sense mm-hmm. and oh, then wow. go back to that beach and then maybe she can find some some nice rocks uh, on that beach and turn that rock into a necklace if she has daughters and that will help her daughters remember that fun, fun afternoon where the crazy family went to the beach and had horrendous food. So that that's one thing they can do. Another thing is, uh, that's another suggestion in the book, is to create a happy treasure map or a map mm-hmm. of happy memories. So the concept is rename places around your town or country to fit the happy memories, the happy experiences you have had in those places. So I've done it on an island where I go every summer. And of course, those places have official names, but I've renamed some of the places to fit the things I've done in those places. So there is the Wild Cherry Forest, there is a Spearfishing Bay, and there is a Skinny Dip Cove, which was a a lovely afternoon. (laughs) So, and just, you know, mentioning those places, speaking of those places with those names, makes those memories resurface.
0: Mike, you consult with governments around the world. I understand you've advised the Minister of State for Happiness in the UAE, and uh, you've talked to officials in South Korea. When you speak to public policymakers at the level of the state, and you think of state happiness, I wonder, do you reflect on what Denmark is doing right? Is Denmark number two now in the world ranking of happiness? What is it doing right?
1: I think Denmark, along with the other Nordic countries, are relatively good at converting wealth into well-being. So investing in the right areas to make sure that uh, you have good conditions for good lives. So it's it's access to healthcare, it's access to university education for all, it is relatively equal opportunities for men and women, and basically reducing the causes for unhappiness. So yeah, the, the Nordic countries are doing well, and usually we'll call them the happiest countries in the world. You can also turn it around and call them the least unhappy countries.
0: You have a background in public policy. You came from a think tank. Has, though, moving from that to researching this whole area of happiness impacted your own sense of personal happiness?
1: It has. I think from childhood, I've always been blessed with quite happy genes. But we can also see that what we do in our lives also matter. So having a job which you find tremendously interesting and you find tremendously rewarding obviously improves happiness levels. And also a lot of the things we find in our studies and in our data is, of course, also an inspiration to me. So, for example, focusing on building a social network, prioritizing friends and family and seeking out uh, perhaps experiences more than necessarily just buying stuff are some of the things I also try to implement in my own life.
0: That's Mike Viking. He's the CEO of the Happiness Research Institute and he's author of the book I'm reading today, The Art of Making Memories. You've been reading with me, Michelle Martin, on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at MoneyFM893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.